no comment. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> that's where we'll start then. Uh, <laughs> Michael, Michael, great to see you, man. Yeah, good to see you too. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, um, my name is Bowen Dwelly. My substack is An Ordinary Disaster, which is also the title of my memoir, uh, which I have been serializing in pre-publication form on my substack um today is uh, august 22nd 2023 mm -hmm. and i will be publishing the final chapter of that project tomorrow um i've been publishing a chapter a week since the beginning of the year um and um today i have with me michael moore a fellow writer on substack fellow memoirist and uh, someone that I've connected with quite a lot since um, <clears throat> kind of last fall, since I began writing on Substack here. And uh, yeah, mm -hmm. Michael, tell us what what your gig is. Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me on. And um, I think we're both around the one year mark of uh, Substack and we're both close to uh, I think I landed, <laughs> I think I finally landed at nine, I'm, I landed at 968 subscribers. So I was hoping to get by August 21, uh, 2000, but I got close. So, you, you know, you gotta, gotta be happy with what you get. So, um, yeah, yeah. Congrats yeah, my, on my, the year and yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You too. You too. Um, my, so yeah, my, I'm Michael Moore and, uh, my subsec is Sincere American Writing and uh, then, like I said, I've been doing it for about a year since last August. And um, I, I <clears throat> at this point, you know, uh, it's sort of it started out originally as just more, I'd say, kind of more political. And then I realized that that was ex excruciatingly boring and limited and pretty quickly <laughs> branched out into more what I really have always been more interested in, which is a mix of sort of memoir um kind of literary fiction, autobiographical fiction, personal essay, um, even occasionally some poetry. I haven't done much of that, but a little bit of it. Um, essays, book reviews, cultural commentary, stuff like that. I've done some political commentary. And um, I also have what I call a fictional memoir, which, you know, at some point maybe we can discuss a little bit in my mm -hmm. view what the difference is between fictional memoir and actual memoir. But it hues very close, but not entirely to what we would describe as memoir. Um, and that's sort of, uh, it's called two, two Years in New York. And it's about my my two years, two and a half years, really living in New York City during the COVID pandemic, especially when I was in East Harlem during yeah. the, the early months of the pandemic, which was, as you could probably imagine, pretty intense. And I also have a uh, suspense novel, which is probably called The Grim Room, which I've, um, both of those books I've put in a separate section now so you can read the entire book for the first like four to five chapters are free and then the rest is is paid. Um, the suspense novel is interesting for me because it's extremely, there's a lot of, of me, quote unquote, me in it, but it's also in general, I'd say it's the most imaginative piece of work I've done. I, I, a lot of it takes place in prison. There's backstory in prison. There's a character I've most certainly never been to prison, although I probably should have in my 20s. <laughs> um, so I did, I did like a year and a half of research, just, just getting pregnant on research about prison and this particular prison. It was 
Folsom State Prison in California that I was researching and what mm-hmm. goes on in prison, what it's actually like on a day-to-day basis. And um, yeah, so those are kind of my two major projects. And then, and then a lot of just essays and personal writing and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, I've read, um, you know, some of each of those, all, all your, all your stuff uh, here and there. And, um, you know, I think the reason that we connected in the first place really was that I just, you know, I, I saw in your writing a, um, a, a, a real honesty and authenticity and directness in your voice um, yeah. that I appreciate so much. And, and I see that in, you know, in all those different types of, you know, in, in your memoir work and your, in your essays, um, you know, it, your yeah. voice really comes through. It's, it's, it's very clearly you, even though, you know, I'd only yeah. know you essentially through your writing, but it's, you can just, you know, that's, that's what I get. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Thanks for that. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. That's what attracted me to your writing as well. And I think that it seems like in the traditional world of, of publishing and writing, there's a, there's sort of a, a vacuum there, there's, there's opened up. It seems like over the last decade, sort of a space, fortunately mm-hmm. and unfortunately for more sort of direct and honest writing. And I think Substack, I'm very grateful for Substack because I feel like it's, you know, as a huge believer and in free speech, you know, I love the idea that, you know, we get, when you, when Substack features writers, you get, you know, writers that are really far on the left, then you get writers that are pretty far on the right, and everyone in between, people who are completely non-political completely. And um, there is, I feel like Substack gives you permission to to, to um, play with a more authentic voice and tone and to write the way that you actually want to write, which I think is in many ways, largely missing from the traditional world at this point, mm. um, which I, which I think is why a lot of people are turning to this medium because it's just you can, you can mm. sort of express what you really think without being worried about being censored or sort of canceled or ridiculed mm. or even maybe not even just maybe not even getting out of the gate to begin with, you know. Yeah, yeah, I feel you. I mean, it's it's uh, a really interesting subject um that you know i know you think about a lot and just have you know experience a lot by way of your your work and 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 i do too you know in a different way i mean what just came up for me there as you were talking is like the um yeah you know on one hand in particular memoir of course um is has always been about you know, the direct expression of the writer's experience. Um, Right. And, you know, when I think of, you know, memoirs that have inspired me, um, Henry Miller in particular. um, Definitely. You know, but many, many others, you know, many others. And I have a, uh, a piece that I wrote where I, you know, I list out like my 46 favorite memoirs or something. And um, yeah, you know, put that in the show notes, you know, show notes are always important in these conversations. Um, yeah. um yeah. but, um, you know, his voice is right there, obviously, you know, very unique, very direct, raw, you know, controversial. I mean, to the point where his books were banned for, you know, 30 plus years in the U S. Um, right. And now, now, right. I hear you. It's like, 
everybody you know the whole world is 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 worried about being like being correct all the time right it's like and in any one piece of writing you know i mean i've felt this myself it's like well i've got to make sure to like say everything you know to sort of cover all my bases here so to speak you know which of course is completely impossible anyway just completely impossible yeah as if you could do that even in a book you know let alone like one you know 1500 word essay or whatever Um, yeah and so man i feel you i mean that's all i want to do too is you know that's what i'm here to do is like express myself and you know, I don't fucking care what, <laughs> what, yeah. uh, you know, but I just it's, it's reread, tough. I just reread this morning, your, your piece about male role models, which I recommend everyone reads. And, um, yeah, your, your point about the, this, well, you use this idea of patriarchy, this word patriarchy as an example, which I think is a great example. Yep. And there are many other examples. Um, but, of sort of the state of our culture right now, which I think is largely it's it's become and I I don't there's no one group to blame. I think a lot of the blame is probably due to social media, um, just the the fracturing of people's attention and the kind of um, incentives of tribal thinking to the point where things are just to me things seem so dumbed down now. It's sort of like you're supposed to, as a woman, like you're supposed to now believe that, um, I don't want to over, overplay it. Not, not that, you know, there's like a part of my mind that wants to say, oh, that all men are evil. I don't think that's true. I don't think women are actually incentivized to think that, but that this, this kind of, like you were saying in your piece, this vague gelatinous kind of in the background term patriarchy is supposed to mean that, that all men, you know, fill in the blank. And that men are sort of like all these sort of blanket um, mechanical oppressors and that men need to fix this. They need to, there's this one specific thing we need to do or we're not exactly sure what we're supposed to do. No one really seems to know what the answer is, but we're supposed to fix ourselves somehow. And that there aren't any male role models. It's just sort of, it's all bad. You know, it's all just sort of this negative situation. And it's, it's, um, well, I would, that's what I was taking a position against. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Like we've lost, we've lost, and this is not an original comment here, but you know, a lot of people have talked about this lately, but we've lost this basic sense of nuance in the culture mm-hmm. where we, we've lost the ability to just have complicated, nuanced conversations about human beings, you know, because, you know, like I talk a lot about this in some of my posts, like, I don't believe that there are, you can make you know, really general broad statements about groups, but you have to add in a bunch of caveats. Right. You, know, you can't say, you can't say <clears throat> black people fill in the blank or, you know, white people fill in the blank or men fill in the blank or women fill in the blank. No, That's well, it not. doesn't make sense. It's, it, there's no point in, 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 uh, I mean, you're saying, well, because, but people tend to do that. People tend to people do that. People tend to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And so this idea of patriarchy kind of gets mm-hmm. painted across a whole population of people, in this case being, you know, men. Yeah. And it's 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 just very odd to me. And one thing I was thinking when I was reading your piece on it was mm-hmm. it's and maybe you're more aware of this. You may very well be more aware of this than me, but I'm not aware of a whole lot of 
you know, women currently who identify as feminists who are, and again, I could just be ignorant of it, of it who are, mm -hmm. um, who are writing like positive pieces about men that they're aware of, wh whether it, you know, it could be their husband, mm -hmm. it could be their son, it could be someone they know mm -hmm. who's setting, who are setting positive examples. What I, what I largely hear is um, men are fill in the blank, or I mm. had this anecdotal experience with a man, and then uh -huh. you get a rush of comments about how bad men are. And not to go too, I'm, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but right, right, because that's what I was saying. speaking. So I hear you, right? And like part of the reason I wrote that piece, which is called No, It's Not a Struggle to Find Good Male Role Models, was in response to you know, a guy echoing this common trope, which is that, boy, it sure would be nice if we had more good male role models, but right. isn't it a shame that we don't? And right. I was like, well, my take on that whole mentality, which is, is it a little bit different than you know, or, or goes along with kind of what you're talking about is, is why, first of all, no, it just, it just actually isn't a struggle. You know, there are lots of good male role models and by good male role models, I mean, examples of men who embody uh, a masculinity of some sort, you know, of, of their own, that is positive. Um, right. And is is not you know retrograde in any way, um, <clears throat> and you know again my take is like why spend our time talking about the past when yeah. what we need to be doing, you know, mm -hmm. or my what I what I feel to do myself is to talk about the future, you know. Right. It's, it reminds me, it's like I had a girlfriend, you know, ten years ago or something who worked for Chevron, and, um. I still have a habit of, you know, when I fill up the car, you know, I stop at Chevron more than other gas stations because of that. But, but we had this conversation one day where we were talking about kind of finances and stuff. And I asked her, I said, well, what are you, you know, how are you saving your money? You know, where are you investing? That sort of thing. She's like, well, you know, most of my savings is in uh, company stock Chevron. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hmm, interesting. I don't know. What do you think about diversifying a little bit? You know, yeah. she's like, well, you know, I mean, Chevron's doing real well, you know, we're still burning gas, you know, we're, we still need oil. I said, well, yeah. I said, but let me just ask you this. Do you think like we should just be that we should just kind of burn it until we run out <laughs> or maybe, <laughs> You know, right. <laughs> we should be a little more proactive and perhaps like stop before we empty the whole fucking tank, so to speak. Yeah. You know, on that <laughs> right. score. Right. Right. And she's like, huh? Yeah. Like, hmm, I see your point, I guess, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, And so I just don't have time in my life to, you know, be continually decrying the sort yeah. of the failures of the past or whatever, you know, I want to focus on going forwards. And so that's, you know, yeah. get back to your comment about this piece. I was saying, well, for, I just pointed out a whole bunch of great male role models that I know, you know, 
personal friends of mine, but also writers. Mm -hmm. You asked about women. Um, I mean, I would point to Bell Hooks's book as the sort of prototype of the radical feminist um, who speaks out in support of masculinity, um, mm -hmm. but also uh, Megan Daum, whose podcast yeah. I love Unspeakable her. is just excellent. And she it's a frequent topic for her. And she's very, very articulate on the subject. Um, yeah. As well as um, Liz Plank, who wrote a book called For the Love of Men and is the co-host of a podcast called Man Enough. Um, and also just, you know, for three examples, two of which are, you know, totally you know what it, what you're talking about really makes me think of Joan Didion. Joan Didion, you know, I was I, I told you I've been um, going through, you know, for the audience, you know, my, my dad died about two and a half months ago and I've been I took meticulous notes throughout this whole experience, you know, diary entries, journal entries, whatever you want to call them during that two year period. And I'm, I'm working on a memoir and I, I've gotten about 13,000 words down that I've worked on over the last couple of months of like a narrative kind of memoir. But I have a hundred and I put all of my, you know, as I was telling you before, I put all of my diary entries from that period together in one document. And it's a staggering 116,000 words, which right. just blew my mind. And I've been going through it. I've been listening to it. You talked about you and Lyle actually talked last time. And I was like, absolutely, absolutely agreeing. And I recommend this for all Substack writers. It's if you use word, which I always do, I use the read aloud function. And it's, mm -hmm. it's brilliant because you can listen to your own writing read back and you're like, Oh, that sentence sounds totally off. Or you, can, yeah. you catch, you catch um, punctuation issues, um, grammar issues, the rhythm, the flow. It's just a great thing to do. It's a great way to kind of self-edit. Yeah, totally. Um, but anyway, I was reading through, I've been reading through month by month on these diaries and I got to December 23rd of 21, it must've been, which happened to be, and I was writing at that time about Joan Didion because she had died in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. She was 87 years old. She died. Mm. Um, and I was complaining at the time and I'd completely forgotten about this, that um, again, not to try to get too political, too political here, but like that sort of on the left, like the New Yorker and Harper's and the New York Times had sort of done a nice little sort of revisionist history piece, pieces on a series of pieces on her where they were trying to say that she was like this ultra feminist. And Interesting. anyone who's actually read her work knows that she she was really hard on kind of first and second wave feminism and wrote a, a really famous piece on that, um, which hmm. I'm I'm it might be called, I can't remember what it's called, um, but it might be something as simple as on women or something like that. I'd have to go back and look, but it's, it's a mm -hmm. long, really interesting piece. Interesting. People should check out, but yeah. One of, one of the points in that piece that she wrote was on personal responsibility, which made me think of a totally yeah. different thing, which ties into what we're saying, which we may or may not want to talk about, which is um, sobriety and AA and recovery. I was, I was, I'm coming up next month on 13 years sober and mm. I've been doing Al-Anon meetings lately, mm. um, which are interesting. And for people who don't know what Al-Anon is, it's sort of like for people who are dealing with a family member or a close friend or a partner who is an alcoholic. Yeah. And I've, I've gone to some of those meetings in the past and, and I've always found them kind of interesting and, and they're, they're sort of um, hitting home a little more right now. I find them really kind of helpful. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I was listening to 
a woman speaking the other, the other day on an Al-Anon meeting and she was talking about personal responsibility and she was talking about how she had been dating this guy when she was sort of, she was dating, this was in her 20s or early 30s maybe, and she had been dating an alcoholic and she herself was not much of a drinker, but uh, that she kind of like by getting sober and kind of quote unquote sober by doing the steps of Al-Anon, she came to realize how toxic this guy that she was dating was and how toxic the relationship was mm. and her it brought her to this point of realizing like wait a second you know all these years i've been playing this victim role and saying that you know this guy he's like my boyfriend he's such an asshole and he's so emotionally abusive and he treats me like yeah. trash and uh-huh. and then she finally got a sponsor like, and well why are you with him <laughs> and she realized well yeah. wait a second I'm making this conscious choice every single day of my life to continue being with this person. Right. And I, right. I like, I'll say one last thing and then I'll shut up and we can oh, move awesome. on or you can respond or whatever. But it's just, mm-hmm. it felt important to me. I, I posted a note a couple of weeks ago about narcissism and long yeah. story, you know, basically just saying that I, I also do book editing and I get a lot of people sometimes who are talking about narcissism and they want to write a book about narcissism or they want someone to help edit a book about narcissism. Yeah, it's often young women who get in these and and I posted about it and I said, you know, sometimes I feel like this is sort of um, the narcissism that's being decried is often coming from someone who themselves seems to be a narcissist. And I know that from yeah. um, getting involved in some of these projects. And there was yeah, a woman yeah. and I, I won't reveal her name or anything like that, but she had a hard time with this and she sent me all this data. Yeah. So, you know, this supposed data about women and what they go through and how they're raised and the patriarchy right. and all this stuff. And it all is irrelevant because what she's missing is that to truly believe that you don't have choice, that you don't have personal agency or free will, that as a woman in our society or as anyone, that you are forced by your environment to make, to make choices. You cannot yourself actually choose. I I just find that to be an absolutely absurd, reprehensible idea that leads us to all kinds of scary places because you believe in right. determinism you, you believe that your yeah. environment determines yeah. Yeah. how you think and what you do and i just find that scary and i think that's we're in a place now where whether it's gender race whatever it may be gender mm-hmm. a lot of people believe that this is the case and i just find that to be scary because i believe that human beings are individuals and everyone makes choices constantly every day and the choices that you make lead you to where you go and i was an active alcoholic, I made a lot of really bad choices and I worked the steps and I got sober and I made amends with people and I started to to change and I still make a lot of mistakes, but I'm not the person I was before. And I just think that's an important kind of uh, thing to understand and believe in. Yeah, man. Totally. I, feel I, you. Love, I put a no. lot on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm getting, that's why I'm, I keep looking down. I got my, my notebook here, um, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, helps me keep my thoughts together a little bit. Um, yeah, there's yeah. a lot there. I mean, I, I, you know, you and I don't, obviously we're two individuals. We don't have exactly the same position on, on anything, but um, I do agree a hundred percent about the importance of personal responsibility and also the, you know, the dead end nature of um, infinite um, categorization um, yeah. and, and, you know, victimization um, and, you know, it's just, it's just, yeah, it's, it's scary. You said, and uh, you know, what the word that comes for me is also, it's just so uninteresting. It's just so yeah. uninteresting, you know, to live that mm-hmm. way, 
oneself and also to go around and kind of try to see the world that way. It's just so, mm -hmm. so uninteresting. Um, you know, yeah. not that there aren't issues, et cetera, et cetera, but um, just a couple of things, you know, you mentioned Didion, who's also, you know, a hero of mine. And um, I mean, someone who's mm -hmm. writing really, I just, you know, I've always admired and, yeah. you know, by way of other examples, um, you know, I thought, well, Didion and Patty Smith, you know. Oh, yeah. She's, you yeah. know, P Patty Smith is, a, you know, a, a, you know, you cannot argue, you know, a strong woman, artist, you know, multi-talented artist, you know, obviously musician, poet, writer, mm -hmm. etc. And someone who, you know, honors um you know the the men in her life maple thorpe sam shepherd you know the partners that mm -hmm. she's had even and at the same time you know pointing out or just acknowledging also you know these are these are men these are people you know they're multifaceted individuals and i just yeah. i really appreciate the way that she has spoken about you know speaks about her own life and um and about um you know her herself as a woman and you know men and um have you so, have you read her have you read her memoir just kids oh sure yeah 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 it's good it's a great book yeah totally totally as well she has some of her other stuff um well let's um <clears throat> you know we'll just carry on but um um you know i wanted to well, let's talk about writing for, you know, for a minute and, you know, see what else we kind of get back to. Um, but I wanted to, I mean, this I want to ask this because it's been, I've been feeling a lot lately, like as I have been coming to the completion of this book project, my first book project, um, it's, I mean, just coming to the end of that, I have been feeling so much just in terms of how it has changed me and how it is mm. changing me right now um, in the final stages or in yeah, what have been the final stages of writing the book. Um, and I wanted to ask you, you know, how your writing, because you've been at it longer than I have, um, for sure. You know, how how do you how has writing changed you as a person? You know, how do you feel different now than you felt, let's say, five or 10 years ago as a writer? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and congrats, congratulations also on finishing that project. That's um, a big deal. I, um, <clears throat> yeah, you know, I don't, I'm not sure exactly how to, to if there's a, a perfectly accurate way to answer that. I think that, I mean, at this point, you know, I started, I sort of quick background, you know, I started sort of, as you know, we've talked about a lot of this, but um, come from sort of a writing, a bit of a writing family. My mom's an author and uh, my uncle's a novelist and I have two cousins who are writers. And uh, so I started writing really young and I think I started really taking it seriously. I started writing my first, what became my first autobiographical novel in 2008 when I was about 25. Um, when I was living in in your city, San Francisco, mm -hmm. and um, got sober in 2010, and you know had all this creative energy because I wasn't putting that energy towards drinking anymore. So I finished that draft, and um, 
That was a very, you know, there's something about, especially with autobiographical fiction, I'm sure you have plenty to say here. Because my first novel was about my high school experience, about um, sort of being, basically being a rich kid from Southern California and kind of innocent and um, coming into, I wouldn't say adulthood, but coming into sort of aware self-awareness in terms of, uh, you know, punk rock and drugs and alcohol and rebellion and eventually getting expelled from high school and, you know, all this sort of chaos that I went through. And so there's something about taking experiences like that, any experiences, but especially experiences that are just, you know, so mm. emotional. I mean, I think looking back, there was a lot of emotion. I didn't, I, I like a lot of men, you know, boys at, at that time, I was like 18, 17. Like I held a lot of that inside. I wore a, a pretty strong, social mask in front of friends and, and you know, I was trying to act really tough when on the inside it was sensitive and scared and, and deeply insecure and um but transforming that experience um from something in my head in this tumultuous emotional thing into art if I may yeah. be so bold you know <laughs> we can call it art onto yeah. the page was um there's, there's nothing quite like it. I mean, it's the closest thing I can think of to it. And I, I know there are some famous writers who refer to this before. And of course, I can't remember who they are, but um, probably many of them. It's it's a it's akin to sex, I think, in a way. You know, it's it's like you either. Well, strangely, in a Freudian way, either sex or birth, mm, you know, yeah. it's like you're kind of. Yeah, it's like a sexual experience. But at the same time, it's almost like carrying this child within you symbolically and then giving birth to it. And um, it's a very special feeling. And now I've, I, I'm like, I think 12 or 13 books deep now that I've written. And I think, you know, probably, probably half of them are what I would refer to now as just sort of practice novels. Like they're, they're first draft, they're very rough. They need a lot of work. A few of them are probably may not even be salvageable. Maybe parts of them are salvageable. And then I have maybe what I would say probably three, maybe four, that I would say are like books I've really worked on. That they've been edited. They've looked at. They've been looked at by professional editors. Or a few of them have. Um, you know, one got really close to getting an agent. It went through dozens of agents, and one agent that read it three times and almost took it. And it was just all the stuff surrounding that. But uh, but yeah, they've all they've all. Um, I feel like, as many writers have also sort of said that writing a book sort of helps you discover yourself. It it yeah. um, introduces where am I, I'm getting this phrase from probably because I'm reading a biography of Flaubert right now. I'm probably getting that this phrase from that, but it, it introduces yourself to yourself in a way. Mm -hmm. um, that's been my experience. You know, I I don't know exactly how I feel about something until I write it. Mm -hmm. And uh, especially a book length thing, and especially if it's auto, it's highly autobiographical. It's like I, I mean, that's what's happening with me right now with this collection of diaries is like wow I'm so fascinated because I was so busy I was full-time caretaking mm -hmm. for my dad and I was also going through a lot of depression in 2020 like early late 21 early 22 I had moved from New York City to Santa Barbara and Santa Barbara's gorgeous but my dad was dying and my mom and I are close but have this really complicated relationship by the way like we should totally talk about mothers I wrote some notes about that because your piece talks a lot about mothers mm -hmm. um, good point yeah. and I felt lonely and depressed I hadn't you know, had any kind of physical contact with a woman in like a year and a half. And it was just, yeah. And uh, where was I going with that? 
it's just sort of that's where I was at at that time and uh the introducing yourself to yourself and the the mm -hmm. the unearthing of the expression you know there's a you know you said that you know it's kind of like sex or birth and what I already had you know in my mind as you were saying that is the word expression you know, mm -hmm. self self expression. Well, expression is about getting it out, right? Right. Express. It it is about mm -hmm. a psychic birth. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I like this phrase, um, externalizing the internal. Yeah. You know, it's it's like taking what's inside and bringing it out, putting it out onto the page, and exposing. It's it's very vulnerable. Like to be a writer. Yeah. Um, of any kind, I think, but especially if you're, if you're um, writing autobiographical work or memoir, certainly, and yes. you're really trying to do it in a very authentic and honest way, it's extremely, um, it's extremely vulnerable and it feels risky. And I think that's good. I think, mm -hmm. in my opinion, I think um, yeah. maybe this is something for for newer writers on Substack. Like, if it feels really scary and vulnerable, it's probably telling you that it's worth putting it out there i mean i don't think you should just put everything out there i think you should if you're if it's if it's something that's going to expose yourself in a in a risky like in a truly risky dangerous way or like somebody else in a risky way i think you should check with people that you care about first but you know in general like using common sense i think it's like take the risk you know yeah yeah there was a great actually it was i think it was megan down on her podcast recently talked about the difference between um confessional confessional mm -hmm. writing and or where you are confessing versus confiding and this yeah. kind of subtle difference of just like dump it all out there you know like without you know control so to speak yeah you know which is not really a you know that's more like here read my diary you know versus mm -hmm. confiding you know is one step you know removed and and you know she was right. also talking about this interesting point um well <clears throat> you know when we're reading someone else's writing you know this is one of the things that you know i learned certainly in in working with other writers just as part of like learning to become a writer you know we are reading the work of course of an individual i know if i'm reading your writing i'm reading your work but if I respond mm -hmm. to that as if, you know, if I, re I should, I want to respond to the work, you mm -hmm. know, not respond to the person because I don't really know the person. The work is not yeah. the person. The work is, right, right. you know, the work is a, you know, what I call a, a soul transmission. You know, that's what art is to mm -hmm. me. You said like putting it out into taking the internal to the external you know, it's the closest yeah. that we come to some transmission of my individual consciousness you know, out into the world. But still, you know, you can respond to the work, but it's mm -hmm. not as it's not so interesting mm -hmm. to respond as, you know, to the person. Um, yeah. Well, you know, the ad hominem. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. The ad hominem. I think another thing to give um, another gold star to Lyle on your the lot the interview you did with him he made a really good point which is often made but it's it's worth bringing up again that 
there's an irony, especially with really vulnerable kind of um, autobiographical kind of work, but any work really, that um, in the details is often is kind of where you find the universality. Sure, so yeah. it's which I think is sort of it's sort of highlighting what you're saying that um, the the end whatever individual is writing it you can sort of like detach from that like that's an interesting fact but it's not really that important because if they're if they're doing it well on on yeah. any level you're connecting with it and the reason you're connecting with it is because it's something that you've experienced and probably millions of people really have experienced all over the world and that's why people are connecting with it. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, <clears throat> I feel you, man. Can I ask you? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no. I was yeah. I was just gonna ask you, I wasn't ask you with especially since you just finished your writing your memoir, what what has changed? What how how has that experience changed you in terms of you said this is like the this is your first, or correct me if I'm wrong, this is your first like fully completed book right yeah yeah totally and and you've been doing it in an interesting way because you've been doing it sort of publicly mm -hmm. you know you've been posting it on substack which is something i've been i've you know i've been doing with with mine but what how has that experience kind of changed you both just the writing of it itself and also doing it kind of publicly on the platform mm, yeah yeah um <clears throat> well um Yes. And, and I, well, I have been publishing, you know, as, as I'm going along and I'm, you know, some of the material, um, you know, was kind of previously written, but then of course, you know, worked over and edited, you know, as, as those weeks went by. And then some also, you know, I was literally writing, you know, week by week. Um, yeah. Um, how has it changed me? Well, <clears throat> I mean, I'll just say the process of, of writing, um, of completing, you know, the manuscript, right. You know, the book isn't done. Of course, there's a lot more, you know, it's going to be editing and publishing hopefully, et cetera, but of completing the manuscript, um, you know, and this is the project that I, this is what kind of pulled me into writing going back four plus years ago now, um, was a sort of the feeling of, uh, being compelled to, to write, uh, my story, um, and really to, I mean, part of that initial feeling was to like write myself into existence. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I felt the need to, as, as it came to me, tell the truth, tell the truth of my experience. And, and I know that part of the reason was that I, I needed to clarify that, you know, that is my experience and make sense of it for myself but also to express it, to put it out there, to put it on paper, like, and, and it's true. It's, it's super vulnerable to, you know, but it's like, here's the truth. Here's, here's what happened. And part of my strong feeling about it is like, well, if it happened, you know, a, I mean, well, you can't really argue with, you know, did this happen? <laughs> it happened. Yeah. Um, and you also, it, it it kind of resolves the question of like, well, am I, you know, am I a good person? You know, did I make, did I make mistakes? Did I, you know, it's like, well, it happened. And in going through the kind of 
much of the story of my life, although, of course, you know, it's not an attempt even to be some sort of complete record. But in writing it, of course, I had to go through most of the, you know, many of the the events in my life. It's like, oh, okay, well, that's why, you know, or that's what led this is what led to that. And and so Mm -hmm. it it did a huge amount of clarifying Mm -hmm. myself for me. Um, a, a, a huge amount of cementing my my sense of self and identity. Um, it, it also, um, well, it just feels like a you know a real accomplishment. Um, to yeah, have, it is. You know, set myself the task, and um, and then you know, first of all, you know, it's like gone about the project of kind of become you know teaching myself to write and practicing enough to get to the point where i felt like you mm-hmm. know i could write in a way that i liked and you know felt ready to put out there and then actually you know the the full task of you know writing a a, a book length manuscript um it is it is an accomplishment absolutely and i i feel that you know i, I feel that um and so I, I feel, I mean, I don't know, there's a lot of things there, but most of all, I feel like, um, yeah, I just make more sense to myself now. <laughs> yeah, there's, and, there's, I was, I was thinking when you were talking about um, Mike, Michael Shabon, the author, Michael Shabon, mm-hmm. um, he, he has sort of his theory, which he's not alone here, but he's, he's been pretty vocal about it over the last decade i don't know i'm not sure if he is still currently but he was about you know probably five six years back he's always been a strong critic of this idea of memoir being an accurate account of the facts you know it reminds me of joan didion again with her famous line you know um we tell ourselves stories in order to live Mm -hmm. and it's it's true you know i I, shabon's point is like the can we really trust the veracity or the accuracy of memory Sure. Because there's there's been so many studies now on memory and it's it seems pretty clear that as time goes by and we get further and further from those memories, especially when you start getting into childhood and stuff yeah. like that, you know, we we tend to sort of weave tales and twist things. And the more we tell the stories, the more they sort of morph and turn into different things. And that's not to say that the the way I view my writing is that it's 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 um, especially the more recent stuff. It's a, you know, a very accurate, but not totally accurate take on my perception of events yeah. of how things yeah. happened. And it's mm-hmm. that deeper emotional truth that I yeah. think is what we're always sort of aiming for. Like, this is my, you know, to use that kind of trendy current phrase, you know, this is my truth, meaning uh, not from a fact-based perspective, but this is the way that I felt. I felt yeah. this way. And that's the part I think you're talking about where it's like, exactly. no one can, no one can disagree with that. You can disagree exactly. with facts, but yeah. you can't disagree with like, I felt this way, you know? Yeah. That's exactly what I'm getting at is, you know, when I say like the truth, I'm not talking about objective truth. Not that I'm saying it's right. fuzzy per se necessarily, but no, I'm talking about my experience, the truth of my experience, um, right. which um, yeah, you know, it's incontrovertible at the point where you have expressed it right yeah. you know i i think part of me was that i felt like i had a lot of my experience that was you know that was very fuzzy 
and partly for the same reasons you've talked about. I mean, I was a teenage booze hound from, you know, the age of 10 to 48. Yeah. You know, I mean, I loved being a teenage booze hound, you know, yeah. uh, in a lot of ways. And um, and so a lot of my experience, you know, was pretty fuzzy um, and a lot of not just my experience, but my, you know, my my myself, literally my sense of self, yeah. my self-conception, um, my my ability to express, you know, here's my position. Here's how I feel about something it was a lot of that was pretty fuzzy. Um, I was just it was making me think of this I, I forget the guy's name and I never read his book but I used to go to um uh, what was it called you probably know the name of the place in the Bay Area it's a it's a meditation retreat place mm. um in the North Bay like in Marin County yeah it's Green very Gulch Zen Center yeah that's probably what you're thinking not, about not Green Gulch oh um but yeah Green I know Green Gulch too but anyway I used to go to this meditation center and I remember there was a meditation teacher there that was sober, even sober a long time. And he would tell us these stories about um, his really wild blackout drinking stories, right? And he had, he had recently written a memoir about his drinking years. And I remember th sitting there thinking like, huh, how yeah. does one do that? How does one, how does one write about their blackout, blackout experiences? <laughs> and right. it, it made me think of another book. It made me think of another book I really love. Um, God, I am so bad with names right now, but she is a friend of Megan Down. I think they have a, a Substack together. Mm. And she wrote a book, I think it's just called Blackout. And oh, it yeah. is about, I think, living in Paris, I want to say, and mm. being a blackout drinker. Um, but she she sort of her story makes sense because you know, she she takes us right to the edge of memory and then and then it's sort of like the, then there's a double space and then it's like and next the next morning at 9 a.m when i came into awareness this is what happened and then let us know that there's no memory really essentially and she had to piece together based on conversations with other people around her what sort yeah. of more or less happened the night before but anyway that was that was a random tangent but it just made me think <laughs> of memory and recollection and drinking and yeah yeah um well, that's a bit of, uh, yeah, well, how, you know, writing's affected me and you, um, I mean, I, I think that's one of the beautiful things is that it's a process, you know, it's, it's a, it's a uh, self-referential process, uh, in part, you know, and it, it, it's a constant yeah. evolution and, um, you know, I feel that very much right now for sure. Um, and, um, well, you mentioned, uh, mothers, uh, you know, yeah. as men, we often, there's often a lot of father, you know, talk about the father and uh, that sort of thing. But yeah, my, my mother hadn't really come in into the book much um, until the last few chapters. Um, and then yeah. uh, um, there is some, some of her there. Um, what, uh, what came to mind there for you? Well, I was, and you know, you talked, you wrote, um, I don't know if it was, I can't, I'm, I'm mixing, I think two of your pieces there. I also, the, I don't know if it was from the male role model one or your more recent piece or from chapters 28 or 29 of your memoir, but you were talking about young a couple of times, mm. Carl Young. Yes. And I had written in my, one of the things I'd written in, in one of my diaries from the, the, you know, the years of, of caretaking recently was about young and it was talking mm -hmm. about the sort of um 
what do you call it? The negative anima, the negative anima complex. I think it was from. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, I had a quick little, if I can. The anima, it. right. In Jungian psychology, the anima is like the internal feminine within mm -hmm. a, a male person, you know, and then the, the animus is the internal right. masculine within the feminine. Um, so yeah. yes, the, the anima, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I've been thinking it's a lot funny. about the mother, the anima, the muse, also the muse energy has been coming up for me lately. Um, yeah, no, it's interesting. Cause I, as I'm sure you do too, we, I think we've sort of talked about this. I read voraciously constantly mm -hmm. and I usually, I, um, my fiance would say it's a bad habit cause I get this I get highlighter on the and pen on the marks on the couch sometimes, but <laughs> I constantly uh, highlight and, and yeah, write yeah. marginalia and stuff. So I have you can't really see on the video, but it's like I have um mm -hmm. I write I notes and then I yeah. save I snap photos and then I put those notes in on my phone. And immediately when I was reading your piece, I went to I was like, oh Carl Young, man and man and his symbols. Right. So let me let me just read this really briefly. It's just one paragraph from uh, man and his symbols. Yeah. Um, such an experience shows the anima as the personification of a man's unconscious. In its individual manifestation, the character of a man's anima is, as a rule, shaped by his mother. If he feels that his mother had a negative influence on him, his anima will often express itself in irritable, depressed moods, uncertainty, insecurity, and touchiness. If, however, he is able to overcome the negative assaults on himself, they can even serve to reinforce his masculinity mm -hmm. within the soul of each with sorry within the soul of such a man the negative mother anima figure will endlessly repeat this theme i am nothing nothing makes any sense with others it's different but for me i enjoy nothing these anima moods cause a sort of dullness a fear of disease an impotence or an impotence or of accidents okay. The whole of life takes on a sad and oppressive aspect. Such dark moods can even lure a man to suicide, in which case the anima becomes a death demon. I mean, just like I reread that, you know, because your your piece inspired me to kind of relook at that. And it was like that just for me, I can't speak for you, but for me, that just hits so close to home, you know, and mm, with my yeah. story, and I'm I'm curious a little bit about your story with, with your mom and that dynamic, like. Yeah. It's interesting with me, me and my mom, our relationship is, is like I said, very close and also very complicated. Her experience, you know, she wrote a novel, uh, an autobiographical novel, which is, you know, essentially a memoir called The Road at My Door, which is, you, mm. you know, you can get on Amazon. It's a great book. But um, she's talking about her childhood in the 60s. And it wasn't her father. It was her mother who was sort of the classic kind of almost sociopathic narcissist who, um who left the family and had an affair with a Catholic priest and, um, and left, you know, disowned all three of her children, including my mom and left her husband and just disappeared. And so my mom sort of carried that, that trauma with mm -hmm. her. And uh, when I was growing up, there was sort of this background context of that, um, which my mom was always suffering from and struggling with um, in her own sort of parenting and, and that mm -hmm. got sort of translated in some ways um, onto me as I was growing up. And my sister had her own version of that. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it with my sister um, and my um, and her kids. And so it's just this really complicated um, dynamic. And I think, you know, you also mentioned the sort of oversexed thing. 
Like there's, for me, I know in my twenties when I was drinking and I didn't realize this until much later, but there was such a, like symbolically, it was just so clear to me looking back, you know, after I kind of got sober, um, that this sort of like constant chasing of women and constant like neediness, like emotional neediness and, um, like sort of constant sex, um, and sort of meaningless sex, like like fear of intimacy, a fear of like true intimacy, you know, mm. uh, that there was there was a direct connection between that and sort of the experience that I had had growing up with my mother, who was was and is a lovely, intelligent, amazing woman and human being, but was also sort of um, emotionally sort of. Um, detached in a lot of yeah. ways because i think she was a survivor she was a survivor of what of what she went through and that's that's a whole different conversation about you know right family trauma and generational trauma and, and all of that stuff but, well we all have our stuff you know it's like i you know <laughs> yeah you brought up several <laughs> things there i mean um the 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 piece that i think you've read of mine that you're you know referring to is yeah it was one of the recent chapters and um you know what i wrote about there was that you know my mother you know it's just it's become more clear to me lately in in the writing by way of the writing that my mother you know was not much of a woman you know and of course she's a woman you know and i mean she's also a great person a beautiful person etc but like in terms of like embodying the feminine, you know, right. Not so much. And, um, you know, that's partly just who she is, whatever. But what I was getting to there where I brought Jung in, you know, in the sort of psychological relationship, um, and, and, and I, even though the term I use is this, the psychosexual relationship, apparently that's more of a Freudian term, but it's just a word that came to me independently. I didn't know it was Freud's word. Um, yeah, you know, it's because it's at the <laughs> intersection of, you know, the psychological, the psyche and the sexual mm -hmm. realm. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that the mother, you know, is the first woman that we know. And of course, we, you know, have a certain, you know, a lot of us at once, a lot of, you know, wants to separate of course the mother from anything sexual you know and and you know that's right. very natural but at the same time if that's completely disconnected and if we don't have any sense of the mother as like a sexual creature you know as a woman right well i mean this is my psychological interpretation you know of myself so i'm totally free to do that uh, you know it's like well you know a, I did not have much of an example of like what a woman is like, yeah. right? When I started having my own relationships with women, um, I did not have a template for a relationship with a woman, right? You know, um, which you know is an opportunity. That is part of the opportunity of, you know, that relationship with the mother is is to actually you know get some of that but it requires the mother to embody you know mm -hmm. a, a woman a sexual creature you know not not in a obviously in a way of the sexual Which, yeah 
in a in a really interesting way i'm just kind of realizing this as you're talking brings us back full circle to your piece about about role models male role models because mm. yes there's this conversation about um lack of or potential lack of male role models but what we what you don't seem to hear a lot about is what about female role models for men yeah totally you know now if you're if you're somebody that is a sort of does the thing that you are saying you get constantly frustrated by, which I agree with you. If you're someone that needs to constantly go back to the past, to the original sin, the so-called original sin, you could say, well, mothers are also once children and they are raised by fathers who are obviously. Yeah. Sick and yeah. Right. Well, that's toxic. Good, right? and so <laughs> it still leads back to the unhealthy male yeah. role model or whatever, but either way that that doesn't have anything to do like you you know as a child you don't have any you have very little control over your environment or your, you have very little agency yeah. you're just sort of this being that's being molded by sometimes a, a man a man or a woman and a woman but usually a man and a woman and so you have these two forces in your life and they're equally important and in our case it's i, I find it pretty interesting that in both of our cases because my dad you know truth about my dad is he was very much like growing up he was in many ways very much in the background it was I've always been much, much, much closer with my mom. We've mm. always had a very tangled up and and fierce and good yet also complicated relationship. And my dad has always been, you know, traditionally sort of much more on the sideline. Mm. And so, um, yeah. So it's sort of like the the I'm like you in a lot of ways. Like the the modeling I got from my mom was, um, well, you know, complex and nuanced. It wasn't one thing. It was a, it was a bunch of things. But some of those things were were um, I think were things that sort of led me in the direction or incentivized me towards the direction of, of sort of um, seeking out sex and seeking out sort of um, emotional protection from women, which is exhausting yeah. for women, for anyone, but yeah, for all of us. Yeah. It's, yeah. And so it's like coming to that, you know, kind of growing up and coming to that place of just um, which I think you were also sort of talking about in, intrinsically in your piece is this place of self-love like ideally we're all sort of slowly getting to this place of self-acceptance i am what i am i am who i am i come from what environment i come from i'm you know i'm five foot seven i'm not six foot one i'm you know i'm i'm this i'm whatever whatever the thing is you know this is right, what you right. are and accepting that and and learning to to love and respect yourself which is i think for most of us for certainly for me it was a very tumultuous and very slow path of just peeling the layers of the onion back and yeah 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 i feel you man mm -hmm. I, well there's a lot there yeah i mean and not to like you know obviously i'm none of this not to like fault my mother or my father or whatever else you know it's 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 we but just to to reflect uh you know on that as part of my own experience and um um the well, right. One of the things I always felt sort of yeah, like it, implicit, like implicitly accused of, so to speak, as a man, you know, earlier in life was, you know, this like fear of intimacy or fear of commitment or something like that, you know, and right. I was always like, fuck that. I'm not, I'm not, a, I don't, I don't feel afraid of that. And what I realized, you know, finally was that, yeah, it's true. I I wasn't afraid of that. I just didn't have any idea how or what really intimacy, right. you know, 
real emotional, you know, connection was because again, I, yeah, I, it hadn't been modeled, not just not by my mother, but not by my father either. And, and not yeah. really by anyone else in my early life, you know, also because mm-hmm. all my friends, we were always, always wasted. You know, there wasn't a lot of emotional intimacy there really. So, you know, yeah, there was just a total lack of that. And so um, no wonder it was, you know, it was, and that's, it was a struggle. That's something that we know from psychology at this point. That's just so fascinating about human beings is that, I mean, just even like the first three years of life, you know, mm-hmm. just how much that drives our behavior. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to just to know that that's true. And it makes you think about parenting kind of in a different way. And, you know, the the crucial need for physical love and contact and, you know, yeah. um, saying, I love you. And, you know, I, it's like, I don't know about, you know, your, your parents, we're probably this kind of roughly the same generation. I mean, my parents were of that generation that their parents, you know, like mm-hmm. physical touch and hugging and saying, I love you. were just not generally done. You know, even my father, even, even till, even at the very end of my father's life before he died, like I remember weeks before he passed and going in for a hug and mm-hmm. he would automatically stick his arm out to do a handshake. It, it wasn't, it, it's, it wasn't any, it had nothing to do with a lack of respect or lack of love on his part it's just what he grew up with it's yeah. what he knew his whole life you know yeah totally and, and you know for me well the 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 biggest way that the biggest thing that was missing for me is the same thing i brought up earlier which is truth you know what i call truth in the sense of you know mm-hmm. like part of our part of what we're here to do with each other in the world is to speak truth to each other, you know, and like saying, I love you is, you know, this one thing, but like, you know, it can also be said and still feel kind of empty, you know, it's like, Oh baby, I love you. Oh, I love you too. You know, it's like, (laughs) okay, but yeah. What what does that fucking mean? You know, show me like, Mm -hmm. and to me, a big part of what love is in practice is truth. You know, that is, here's what I see. Here's how I feel. I'm going to tell you something true about my experience. I'm going to, I'm telling, I'm going to tell you what I'm observing of you or in in between or in the field between us. And if none of that is ever spoken to me, there's, there's a big part of, you know, love is just hollow. It's hollow. So that's, that's so true because my, my fiance, Brittany and I have like, we're um we've been practicing that we've been doing uh couples therapy just Mm -hmm. just to kind of to give it a try and it's it's great and we're getting i feel like we're getting more and more vulnerable with each other like when we when we talk about what we're wanting Mm -hmm. and uh it's it's scary man it's terrifying to say like hey you know you you did this thing and i know that it was it wasn't it was just you're just being you and doing your thing and but i'm like our therapist tells us to say what is what's her phrase like i'm making this mean meaning like she will do something or i'll do something and then i'll tell her like i don't know what really happened objectively but from my perception i'm making it mean this thing and and then we can actually start to talk it out and and a lot of the time it's like we both have the same fear 
and we're just scared. And so we're not, and it's only, like you said, it's only when we take that risk and get vulnerable and real with each other and spell it out. Like, this is what I'm experiencing. This is what I'm going through. I'm, I'm terrified that you think fill in the blank, or I'm terrified that I'm not good enough for you or that you're yeah. going to reject me or whatever the thing is. And then once you can get into that territory, it's just like, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. And then you walk through it and you get closer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's what actually for me, you know, makes me feel closer to someone is that, you know, the, the truth, the exchange mm -hmm. of, of truth. Um, that's just the, the, the root of yeah. it for me. And, and, um, um, yeah, yeah. Well, there, there's a lot there. There's a lot there under the, you know, all of these subjects. Um, and I feel like, um, <clears throat> you know, we start to wrap it up here. Um, yeah. Um, I, um, I wanted to ask, you know, what's coming up for you? What are you kind of working on now or next? And also like what, you know, what else, what else do you do or what else you got, you have kind of going on, you know, that's uh, on the horizon in this, this coming year, let's say. Yeah. I mean, the main thing I'm working on is this memoir about, about my dad's two year sort of cancer experience. And I, like I said, you know, I got about 13,000 words down of, of a narrative memoir on it. And then I paused and I've been reading through these journals mm -hmm. and now I'm kind of like, as I'm reading through these journals, I'm starting to think, you know, it's a little unconventional. It's a little different from what I would normally do, but I'm starting to think, you know, I, I'm sort of editing and cutting things out and revising as I go. And I'm starting to think more and more like, what if I, what if I like, you know, a fairly heavily edited kind of just collect like a memoir, straight memoir told as a collection of diary entries. Uh -huh. um, and I'm, I'm starting to, I'm starting to think about that because there's some really like, there's a bunch of stuff that can easily be cut out of it. There's stuff that I have to cut because family would be reading it and I don't want to be, you know, disowned by my entire family. Um, but there's a lot of like really good stuff and it's not just caretaking. It's like, it's a time and a place, you know, it's like, it's 2021, like summer of 21. <clears throat> Actually the journals start more in like October of, of 21. Mm -hmm. um, so like three months after my dad's diagnosis and then go, they end like the very end of December of 22. Yeah. So it's actually like only like a 16 month period. But it's also like what I was reading at the time. I mean, there's I was just reading like a mad person. You know, I was just reading constantly. So it's it's my thoughts on literature and what I'm reading. It's thoughts on philosophy and culture and psychology. It's it's my attempts at online dating during that period. And, mm -hmm. you know, the the sadness of leaving New York City and coming to Santa Barbara and then starting to love Santa Barbara and then also caretaking for my dad and my complex relationship dynamic with my mom and how, how that's going. And um, so, so I'm, yeah, I'm not sure what exact um, path that whole thing is going to take, but it seems like um, maybe at some point potentially trying to like drop that on Substack, maybe doing like a self-publishing print on demand, like discount for subscribers, something, I don't yeah. know. I'm just thinking ahead, yeah. you know, Right now, yeah. it's all just sort of this amorphous thing. I'm just sort of going through and listening to and, and editing. Uh, so that's the main thing. And then I may do like awesome. that and then also do a narrative memoir. I don't, I don't know. I don't know quite yet um, mm -hmm. what that's going to look like. But that's sort of my main 
the main thing that I'm I'm kind of working on, other than just my general writing on Substack. Um, speaking of actually, I have a piece coming out scheduled for like six days from now, which is about a lot of the stuff you've been writing about and what we were talking about earlier about about sort of manhood. Mm. And it's just the piece is just called "What Is a Man." And it's actually I'm talking about yeah. Young and Henry Miller and other people. And I was uh -huh. using the title as a play on um, Matt Walsh's What is a Woman? Mm. You know, it's like he asks, mm. what is a woman? And it seems to be this sort of unanswerable question. Um, right. And for the record, like, I think Matt Walsh is largely a complete buffoon. But I think his <laughs> question and his documentary are, are somewhat interesting. Mm -hmm. And so I was just asking this basic question, like, what is a man? And I was trying to walk this tightrope that it seems like we're we've both been walking which is um there's this binary in the culture of like you're either like a huge gut having sports watching you know hey woman go get me a go get me another beer type of mm -hmm. like 1950s man which I, I don't think like barely even probably really exists exist. anymore yeah and then there's this hyper feminine sort of mm -hmm. beta man which is probably a tiny tiny minority and yeah, there's a exactly. huge majority in the middle where most of us live and Right. I just, I think that I hope that I just, I want to see more of us, you know, talking and writing about that because that's awesome. where I think most of us actually are. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's just another case where like, I don't, I don't really talk about those sort of two, you know, obsolete stereotypes because of course the stereotypes exist for, exist for a reason, but I'm much more interested in the present and the future, you know, right. which um, I've, you know, lots of ways to articulate that, but like a plurality of masculinities, right? Mm -hmm. um, and really, you know, each of us embodies, you know, our own masculinity. Um, and um, so yeah. cool. Yeah, looking forward to that. Um, you're, and you're also an editor, right? I mean, you work as an editor. Um, yeah. And you have for many yeah, years. I do book, so that's... Yeah, I do book editing. I got a degree in, in creative writing and then interned for a literary agent for about nine months in 2013 and ended up um, getting into, into book editing. And so, yeah, I've done that for about a decade and um, have some, you know, a few pretty well-known books out that have been, you know, that are clients who've had their books edited by me or whatever. And that's kind of since COVID that's sort of like slowed down. Um, but I still I still get books, you know, people find me through my website or through Substack and, and I still edit stuff. And that's been a really interesting experience as well. It, it helps me a lot with my own writing because I get to see some really good writers sometimes who are sort of like they have great ideas and great plots or great, you know, but they're they just need help figuring out like where their story actually starts or how to do, um, you know, a more efficient kind of structure or a character arc or a plot arc that that works. and. Yeah, so I, I do that too. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, great. Well, uh, um, before we before we go, can I ask you one last question? Yeah, yeah. Just just generally, I was curious because you asked me the question about like what's next. What are now that you've finished the last chapter of your memoir? What's yeah. what's next for you, both with the memoir as far as like editing, revision, whatever, and what's next? after that like do you have another book in the works or yeah yeah thanks for asking man appreciate it um yeah totally well let's see what's next um near near term is uh, me and my girlfriend are taking her son to see metallica um nice. in la <laughs> on friday um for his nice. like, first rock first rock concert and oh, wow. then 
uh, we're going up to the Sierras to do some backpacking. Um, yeah. And uh, this is kind of like my summer break after having completed the manuscript essentially. And then um, as far as the memoir project goes, um, I will be uh, looking for an editor and an agent essentially, um, you know, and working on that in the, you know, the kind of rest of the year. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, seeking publication uh, one way or another, you know, multiple paths there, but um, that's the goal on ter terms of that project. Um, <clears throat> aside from that, yes, I've got, um, I don't know, at least, I don't know. I can think of at least three, um, excuse me, next book projects. Um, book two is, um, is, you know, you got to have a code. See, I got a code name for everything, right? It gives me, it's like a mental bookmark, right? So yeah. uh, the second book is, is called, and you can take your pillow with you, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is like the sex book, you know, it's, it's, oh, it's like okay. sexist, you know, it's, it's, or it's like Tim Kreider's book. Um, you know, he wrote the book that it, it's called, uh, I, I wrote this because I love you. Uh, okay. I wrote this book because uh -huh. I love you basically. So it's like stories, it's relationship stories. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so I definitely got to be like another, this is going to be like another memoir, but like more from like the sex and relationship perspective. Yeah, kind of. totally. Yeah. And, um, you know, speaking of like going towards the, you know, the heat, the fear, the what's awkward, the whatever. It's like, mm -hmm. believe me, I know people don't want to hear men talk about sex. So I'm that's where I'm going. <laughs> that's where I'm going. Exactly. Yeah, I love it. That's where I I'm going. It. So that's book two. Book three is, um, so to speak, is about the craft of journey making. Um, as I uh, have come to think of it, which is about um you know kind of the practice of intuition right the okay. practice of wayfinding yeah. um but as we as we do that in the world mm -hmm. it's like how we craft the journey of life the you know the journeys that we make you know in the physical world our our metaphysical journeys our creative journeys yeah. we'll have um, to at some point like maybe do another another chat or or do a guest post or something because I, I i had written this down by the way you'll be you'll be proud of me i wrote these are all the notes i, I took all these notes this morning awesome. just reading rereading some of your work and, and oh, notes dude, to talk wow, about yeah. but i i underlined and highlighted and wrote intuition from your last chapter because you were talking about intuition and the unconscious and symbols and how that all and there's yeah anyway that's that's a whole other rabbit hole but there's a lot of um there's a lot to talk about with intuition. I have thoughts about intuition and, and how that can guide you and, and how not listening to your intuition repeatedly can lead you into kind of weird waters. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally, man. That is kind of the key word for me. Um, and um, actually on that note, I mean, the last thing I would say that I haven't announced this yet, but um, I have done some, you know, I mean, it's California, you know, everyone's a therapist, everyone's a coach. So of course I've been a coach and did different things at different yeah. times. And, um, although I haven't, you know, been focused on that much lately cause I've just been writing. Um, but it, it has occurred to me to, um, kind of re, uh, revamp my, 
offering, whatever you want to call it. Uh, well, what I'm going to call it is guide service. Okay. Guide service. Uh, so, yeah. Um, and it's very much about intuition. Um, and so it, you know, it might take the shape, take different shapes for different people, but it might about might be about, you know, as sort of a creative guide. Uh, it might yeah. even be, you know, in the physical world. Um, I'm often uh, kind of asked, like, where should I go? You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but also in terms of, um, um, well, yeah, like I said, in terms of creativity, in terms of, uh, you know, sort of the I dilemmas think- of life. I think it was Kierkegaard that said um, Mm. life can only be lived forward, but must be understood backwards. Something like that. I might be Mm. slightly mangling that, but essentially hindsight is 2020, right? We don't understand something until we've been through it. And right. I certainly wish I had something like that when I was younger. I mean, it's just that, that unknowing, that big question mark of like, what am I supposed to do with my life? You know, what do I do next? Yeah. I've got all the answers obviously now. So I'm, (laughs) you know, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so just you know dial me up and i will uh <laughs> i'll lay it yeah, all out there exactly. for you <laughs> uh, that's it that's it right on man well this has been super fun i'm so glad we got to do this um yeah any me too. uh what's your what's your word then if my word is intuition like that's you know what's your one word I think I think mine would be not a word but a phrase, and the phrase would be, "grow a pair." <laughs> totally, totally. Meaning, like, and uh-huh. and that could be applied to men and women, and it just means grow, grow. How about this? Grow a spiritual pair. Yeah. Meaning, absolutely. Just, you know, whatever your truth is, as we discussed, truth. You know, your emotional truth, your spiritual truth, your understanding of yourself and the world as a human being. Um chase that follow your your intuition trust that and believe in yourself and yeah move in that direction you know awesome yeah grow a spiritual pair love it well that's a that's a great place to leave it michael moore yeah. thanks so much for getting together today and um yeah man this is this is great i love your work love you man yeah thank you i really enjoy your work as well and i appreciate you having me on Yeah, real pleasure.